Cool. Good morning, everyone. How are we doing? My name's Jamie. I'm our youth specialist here, and that means I run all our youth programs from grades four upwards. But this means I'm normally off-site. We hold our programs, and we partner with a church called Holy Apostles and the Mediator. So that means we go off-site down the road and uh, run our youth programs there. That also means I don't get to see your beautiful faces. And I see a lot of beautiful faces today, a lot of new faces. So I'm just going to take a moment, because I don't normally get to do this, and take you all in, as I very rarely get a chance to meet you. So let me just do this. In fact, you know what? I'm just going to come out and say hello. (laughs) Hey, how you doing? I see you're pregnant. How long are you, when are you due? Oh, cool. Uh, Please don't have (laughs) pressure. Right. How you doing? And what's your name? Kelly. Kelly. How you doing? We had a grilled sausage together. That was awesome. (laughs) Hey, how you doing? Cool. I'm going to come over here now. I know some faces over here. I'm going to embarrass my blaze lot over here. How you doing, Lily? I'm fine. Good, good. How you doing, Sailor? Tired. Good. And how about you, Annabelle? And, and Samuel, there's my wife. She's embarrassed, so I'm not going to talk to her. How are you guys? Good, good. Right, that's enough of that. Now you're all weirded out. That probably, that felt good for me. That felt really good. It probably felt really awkward for you. You know, the preacher is meant to stand here, and you're meant to sit there, and the preacher is not meant to come out and hassle you. Your seat is your safe space. But it probably it felt nice to me because it gave me a moment to get up and acknowledge you all, make myself available to you, instead of running out of the church with the kids or chasing after my kids after the service. Anyway, where's my sermon? Good. Right. So Brad has invited me here today, and probably won't again after that, to come and talk to you all about Unlikely Hero. We here at Mosaic, if you're new, have been looking at unlikely heroes in the Bible and in the impact and influence they can have on our lives. We have looked at characters like Hagar in the Old Testament and the Apostle Thomas in the New. Well, the person that I would like to look at is somebody from the Old Testament. And I really think this person is fantastic, as they were living in extremely difficult times. Well, I think if we were honest, actually, the Bible is full of periods that were difficult. But this is a particularly difficult time, faith-wise and politically. The person I want to take a look at today is Deborah. Deborah appears in the book of Judges. And uh, before we go on, I think it's best we read the story she features in. She actually features in two chapters of Judges, Judges 4 and 5. Judges 4 is written as a story, and chapter 5 is written as a song. The song is actually attributed by some scholars as written by Deborah herself. Because we haven't got time to read both, I thought we'd uh, focus on chapter 4. But I might reference chapter 5 during my talk. Judges chapter 4 appear on the screens, so you can read along. And it's a bit of a difficult one with lots of long names, so I apologize if I get them wrong. So, Judges 4. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, now that Ehad was dead. And so the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor, Sisera. The commander of his army was based in Hathasheth, Haggaim, 
because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. They cried to the Lord for help. Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at the time. And she held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. She sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, from Kadesh in Nephtali, and said to him, The Lord God of Israel commands you, Go take with you 10,000 men of Natali and Zebulun, and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River, and give them into your hands. Barak said to her, If you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Certainly I'll go with you, said Deborah. But because of, because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. And there Barak summoned Zebulun and Nephtali, and 10,000 men went up under his command. Deborah went up, also went up with him. Now Heber the Kenite had left the other Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, Moses' brother-in-law, and pitched his tent by the great tree of Zenanim near Kadesh. And when they told Sisera that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera summoned from Hashereth Haggaim to the Kishon River all his men and 900 chariots fitted with iron. Then Deborah said to Barak, Go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down to Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. At Barak's advance, he, the, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and the army by sword, and Sisera got down from his chariot and fled on foot. Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as Hathasheth and Haggaim, and all Sisera's troops fell by the sword. Not a man was left. left. Sisera, meanwhile, fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the, the wife of Heba the Kenite, because because there was an alliance between Jabin, king of Hazor, and the family of Heba the Kenite, Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come, my lord, come right in. Don't be afraid. And so he entered her tent, and she covered him with a blanket. I'm thirsty, he said. Please give me some water. So she opened a skin of milk drink to drink and covered him up. Stand in the doorway of your tent, he told her. If somebody comes and asks you, is anyone there, say no. But Jael, Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him. And as it, while he lay fast asleep, exhausted, she drove the tent peg through his temple into the ground and he died. Just then, Barak came by in pursuit of Sisera and Jael went out to meet him. Come, she said, I will show you the man you're looking for. So he went in with her and lay Sisera with the tent peg through his temple, dead. On that day, God subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, before the Israelites, and the hand of the Israelites pressed harder and harder against Jabin, king of Canaan, until they destroyed him. Well, that's a pretty action-packed story right there. Plus, like I said, and <laughs> filled with a lot of complicated names. I got through it, though. So, first of all, why is Deborah an unlikely hero? Well, I think Deborah is incredible because she's one of the few examples of women in the Bible that held a position of authority. But she is even more incredible because she held multiple roles of authority. All this in a time when women were not held at all with this view. Deborah, whose name means bee, 
and she definitely was a busy bee. Deborah was a ju- judge and a prophetess, and the only person in the Bible who, who was a combination of a prophet and a judge was Samuel. And on top of that, Deborah was a singer and songwriter. She had an impressive resume. She is the perfect associate pastor. So, in fact, church, let's hire her. (laughs) So, first of all, Deborah was a judge. Deborah was the fifth of the leaders of judges of Israel, raised up by the God to deliver his people from the bondage their idolatry had caused. And instantly, both in word and deed, she fulfilled her role as judge at a time when men tried to do right in the sight of their own eyes. As the position of women in those days was a distinctly subordinate character, Deborah's prominence as a ruler is somewhat remarkable. All Israel is under her jurisdiction. She dispensed righteousness, justice, and mercy. Deborah would fulfill these roles by sitting and giving legal counsel under the date palm tree of Deborah between Ramah, Bethel, and in the Ephraimite hill country. And the Israelites would come up to her and have their disputes settled. Secondly, Deborah is a prophetess. Deborah is one of the several females in Scripture distinguished by being endowed with a prophetic gift, which means the ability to discern the mind and the purpose of God and declare it to others. And lastly, she was an agitator. She was like an Old Testament Rosa Parks, meaning... One of agitation is to stir up and excite public discussion with a view of producing a change. Then Deborah was an effective agitator who stirred up Israel's concern about its low spiritual condition. And the land was debauched and well nigh ruined. Under the rule of the Canaanites, liberty had been lost. The people were dejected and afraid, for their spirits had been broken, and all hope of deliverance had vanished. But Deborah did more than prophecy. She aroused the nation from its lethargy and despair. It's saying all this about her that I want to really address something before I go on. When I was preparing this sermon, I found that the story of Deborah has almost become so limited to discussing gender issues. Yes, Deborah was an unlikely hero because of her gender and the position, but she was so much more. And as we all know, gender should not be a barrier for position, as it sadly still is today. So I don't want to dismiss that. But we should treat her story as equally we would a man in the Bible, because we will miss the overall message. And that is what about God has in store for us when we follow him with all our hearts and we do exactly what Deborah did because God chooses who he chooses. Just as he chose a zealous lawyer who persecuted Christians and on the road road to Damascus had an an amazing change to spread Jesus' message. Just as he chose a humble carpenter and his wife and not a royal queen, a king, to give birth and raise his only son, He chose Deborah to help and used her to help his people. Deborah's story challenges us in a lot of ways. And the biggest takeaway I got from this story was that she reminds us to be available. Who here in this room struggles to making ourselves available? Our lives have become so congested and convoluted. We have just built tunnel vision. We can just get through the day alone, month, 
week, year. And that's why I did what I did at the beginning of the sermon, to demonstrate, to take a moment of making myself available. Since I've had kids, my life has changed. And I'm going to take a bit of an act, comedy act, from a British comedian called Michael McIntyre. So people without kids, this is how you probably came to church this morning. I'm going to church this morning. Ah, church. (laughs) People with kids, this is how we go to church. Right, I'm going to church now. We're going to church now. I don't want to go to church. (laughs) We're going to church. I don't want to go to church. Why are you wearing your pants on your head? (laughs) I'm wearing shoes. In the bed. Why why are they in the bed? You get the idea. (laughs) We are just trying to survive. But this applies to everyone in our workplaces. Maybe not the pants on the head. (laughs) Unless you work with that person. But (laughs) in our social lives. And sociologists are worried and language experts are worried for the future of languages and actual social discourse between us because of these things. Smartphones. We are becoming chained to our smartphones and we would rather text or Snapchat or whatever it is and not engage with each other face to face. Deborah was always present. She was a prophet and she was instructed by God. And note what she said to Barak, and more of him later, whose name means lightning bolt. Chapter 6. She sent for Barak, son of Abanoam, from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord God of Israel commands you, Go take with you 10,000 men of Natali, Zebulun, and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops, to the Kishon River, and give them into your hands. Deborah was approaching her faith and living, listening to God very different to others. She heard what God wanted and heard the person God had chosen for this mission, Barak. So she sent for him. So if Deborah wasn't present, just twiddling her thumbs under that tree and listening for God, she would have missed out on this vital mission to rescue the Israelites. The Israelites had actually made God angry by worshipping foreign deities. Faith and belief at this time, was an all-time low. God's message had been completely missed and overshadowed. People had ended up with a warped sense of what it meant to be a follower of God. They were burned, and they abandoned their faith. So, as you can tell, I'm not from around here. I'm a born and bred South Londoner, and I used to work a lot in the heart of London, walking up and down one of their main streets, Oxford Street, which is made up entirely of shops and offices. The storefronts are your typical repetitive, mundane design of storefronts. As you can see behind me, there's some pictures of it, just to give you an idea of what it looks like if you haven't been to Oxford Street in London. You can see they're pretty. And, um, but one day, as I was walking to work, something made me look up. Maybe a bird pooping on me or something. But I was suddenly struck struck by what was above the storefronts. And you can see in the second lot of pictures what was going on. 
It was some of the most beautiful architecture, all different styles from different historical periods. It really blew my mind. I had been walking down this street all this time and missed this above my head. It's a bit like that classic line from Ferris Bueller. Life moves pretty fast, and if you don't look around once in a while, you could miss it. I want to challenge you this week to find a way to be more present, to maybe look up around you. Maybe when you're walking through Walnut Street in Centre City, look up. Maybe like I did at the beginning of the sermon, just take a minute around you, acknowledge the people in this church, and go and say hi to someone that you haven't said hello to. You don't know where that conversation might lead to. Deborah was available to God. God had identified her and Barak to lead the armies. She then told Barak this prophecy to free the people. So we need to be available both to God and people. And when it's combined, people become aware of their potential. But there is a but to this part of the story. And even though Deborah had listened to God and been faithful and passed this on to Barak, Barak struggled. Barak was a general from the land of Kadesh who hailed from a city called Naphtali. He was a leader of thousands of men and he had become a highly regarded soldier in his land. He was a skilled warrior. But Barak does a couple of things, which actually on the surface is a little understandable. The first thing is he becomes a bit fearful and a bit overwhelmed of what he is being asked to do. Now, Barak's reluctance probably stemmed from the fact that he actually, like many of the Israelites at the time, didn't have faith in God. But also, fearing defeat at the hand of the capture, uh, their captors, the Canaanites, leading a smaller, smaller army against a huge, powerful enemy, he sees his limitations. He thinks that he's a bit out of his league. Even though he's this amazing military commander, of the Israelites. It would, you know, you guys would be still speaking like me if George Washington doubted his abilities. I'm sure George had these moments, but he surrounded himself with people like Alexander Hamilton and the Marquis de Lafayette who would give another perspective. We let, I think, the fear of what might be overwhelm us. You might have seen a movie starring Jim Carrey called Yes Man. It's based on an autobiographical book by Danny Wallace, who had just broken up with his girlfriend and was slowly falling into isolation and loneliness when a chance encounter with a stranger on the bus on who, hearing about his situation, advises him to say yes more rather than no. On this, Wallace vows to say yes to every offer, invitation, challenge, and, challenge and chance and he recounts his months-long commitment to complete openness with profound insight and, and humbling honesty. Saying yes takes Wallace into a new plane of existence, a place where money comes as easily as it goes, nodding a lot can get, lead to a long weekend overseas with new friends, and romance isn't as complicated as it seems. And yes eventually leads to the biggest question of all, do you, Danny Wallace, take this woman? Wallace found, yes, was proof that a little willingness could take you to the most wonderful places. Deborah is a bit like that stranger on the bus to Wallace's Barack. She encourage us, encourages us to spend our efforts on worrying about what you can do, worrying about rather than worrying about what you can't. Just imagine yourself in Deborah's shoes for a minute. Deborah 
knew that Barak was the person for the job. God had told her so. But still, Barak wasn't convinced. She could have given up. She said, okay, I'll find somebody else who wants the job. And then here's the second part to Barak's reaction of what he's been asked to do. He eventually says, well, I'll go if you go. And I think he's expecting her to say, well, I'm not going. And so that gives him an out. This situation reminds me of a story where my wife, Debbie, not Deborah, and I were dating. I don't think we've been going out more than a year. It was my birthday, and we went to Madame Tussauds, which is a waxwork museum in London. And they have a Chamber of Horrors section where you walk through... <laughs> Sorry, I'm just seeing Debbie's face to the story. Um, so they have this section to, um, where you walk through dark, horrific passages where actors dressed as zombies and creatures would jump out of you, scaring you half to death. And in my mind, I'm, I'm really hoping that we can bypass this section because I'm a huge Frady cat when it comes to these situations. And so I thought I'd call Debbie's bluff and say, let's do it, come on. And she'd be feeling the same way as me and say, no way, and give me an easy way out. But of course, I should have known better. And she said, sure. Anyway, to cut a long story short, it basically ended up with me running through, terrified, using Debbie as a human shield. <laughs> When anything jumped out, I know, I know, you're kind of looking at me a bit less now and wondering why she married me, but that's another story. Well, I think this is the same as Barak. He was hoping Deborah would, not, would say, not on your Nelly, but Deborah did exactly what my wife Debbie did and said in verse 9, certainly I'll go with you, said Deborah, but because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours. For the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. What she's kind of doing here is challenging his honor. A woman delivering Sisera their freedom. Maybe he went into battle like me, entering the chamber of horrors. But he got the message. And I think I want to reiterate my point about this not being a battle of the sexes or a gender-pacific thing. Because again, we can miss the overarching point. Barak said, I'll do it if he was putting conditions on his leap of faith. I will do it if you do it. He is lo only looking at the storefront and not the beautiful architecture above. When you put conditions on your faithfulness, God doesn't miss out. You miss the opportunity. Deborah didn't put any conditions on it and therefore did not miss anything. Deborah went into battle and this makes her even more unlikely because she is the only woman recorded in the Bible to be a military leader. Barak would not even get the glory even though he co-led the battle. So when we don't step out, we can really miss the opportunity to engage with others and the opportunity that can bring. By Barak saying, I'll do it if, rather than I will do it, he hesitates. He lacks that little bit of faith. He doesn't trust God's plans. Deborah is aware of this and really steps out and accompanies him with the physical battle with the Canaanites, but also Barak's internal battle. And what happens is that while Deborah and Barak go into battle with the Canaanites, as the two sides are approaching each other with the heavily armed Canaanites who well outnumber the Israelites, a huge downpour occurs 
And their iron-bound chariots, the Canaanites' iron-bound chariots, become entrenched in the mud, trapping them. So it makes it much more easier for the Israelites to defeat them because they've lost their advantage of their mobility. Deborah uses this moment to convince Barak that God is with him and has prepared the way with the Canaanites. But also, the victory is God's. That is a great example of God using a partnership for achieving something great. Deborah didn't abandon Barak for his lack of faith. Rather, she accompanied him and gave him strength to accomplish God's purpose. This victory over the Canaanites gave the Israelites a newly injected sense of faith in God. So Deborah was a hero by being available to God, hearing his plans, then being faithful and sharing them with Barak, but then going one step further and accompanying Barak and discipling him back to faith to lead the Israelites, which led them to defeating their enemies and leading a resurgence in their faith. When I moved to the States, I'd never heard of this person I'm going to talk about. But since having kids and being here, this person has become a real hero of mine. How he would really listen to children on their level, on their terms. He was really groundbreaking in terms of, in terms of children's television. He was a shining example of making himself available and seeing what happens when you do. Now, and so now, I sit and watch his show with my sons. I love him so much, my wife got me a mug. Mr. Rogers. And when you put hot water in it, he puts on his cardigan. <laughs> so, anyway, Mr. Rogers says some wonderful things. Blows my mind. And that cup is actually full of his quotes. And it just sets me up for a good day when I'm having that cup of tea. So, as I finish my talk here with you, I want to leave you some, uh, just a quote from him about his sage words, and they are this. If you could only sense how important you are to the lives of those you meet, how important you can be to the people you may never even dream of, there is something of yourself that you leave at every meeting with another person. Take that in for a minute. I'll say it again. If you could only sense how important you are to those of the lives that you meet, how important you can be to the people you may never even dream of, there is something of yourself that you can leave at every meeting with another person. And again, I want to leave you with this question and challenge. The challenge is this. Can you make yourself more available to those around you? You are so important to God. And you are so important to others. God gives us that responsibility when we ask him into our lives. Can you open your heart to God more? Can you put your trust in him more than you have been? And hear the good news that he has for others and shares it, share it with them. Maybe you're good with God. Maybe you hear him all the time. But have just kind of been walking along, looking at the storefront and missing the beautiful architecture above. The opportunities and missing those opportunities to engage and disciple. The second challenge is, is there someone in your life whose faith you can bolster by your presence? And if there isn't, 
Maybe ask God to put someone in your life that you can do this with. Or maybe you feel like Barak, who needs more convincing. Maybe you need a Deborah in your life. And just ask God to bring that someone into your life. Thank you.